This is Digital Health Today, episode 60. For anyone who works in healthcare or in drug development, you know, one way of looking at it is, oh my God, you know, they're going to disrupt our industry. Will I have a job? I think the other way to look at it, I think there's going to be far more choices of employers, you know, and opportunities in, in these sectors. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Support for this podcast comes from Medible. Medible enables mobile solutions to globalize clinical research with anytime, anywhere participant data capture through connected devices. Learn more at medible.com and get a demo today. That's medible.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 60. As this podcast goes live, we are just over a week away from the Health Data Palooza in Washington, D.C. that's being held on April 26th to the 27th. Pick me on Twitter if you're going to be there, too. You can find me at Health Tech Dan. There are loads of other great events coming up in April and May, even into June. There are far too many to mention here, but we do mention them on our website and in our newsletter. If you want to make sure you see that, stop by the website and make sure that you're registered there. In fact, I should let you know that with the changes in the General Data Protection Regulation, affectionately known as GDPR, which are coming into effect in May, even if you've subscribed in the past, we need to reconfirm that you still want to hear from us. So we're going to make that super simple to do. You may have noticed that we included a purple button in our most recent email update. All you need to do is click that link and you'll be confirmed to continue receiving updates from us. If you don't see that in your emails, then that means you've already opted in. And for that, I say thanks. As we get closer to the May 25th deadline, we will also send a targeted email asking you just one question, basically asking if you want to continue to hear from us. And then with one click, you can confirm your place in the digital health community and receive the occasional email from us. I really don't like to bombard you with emails and offers, so if you want to make things simple, just go ahead and click on one of those purple buttons in our emails, and then you won't receive any more reminders about it in the coming weeks. Plus, I'll be glad to have you continue as a member of the digital health community that we're all a part of here. Speaking of community, my guest today is an integral member of the global community in life sciences and clinical research. In fact, for five of the years between 2005 and 2012, Pharma Voice magazine named him as one of its 100 most inspiring leaders in the life sciences as voted by his peers. Based on that description alone, you may have already guessed that I'm talking about Dr. Amir Kalali. You may know of his expertise in the pharmaceutical industry. For about 20 years, Dr. Kalali was global head of the Neuroscience Center of Excellence at Quintiles IMS. He was responsible for the enterprise-wide strategy for neuroscience, encompassing drug delivery and healthcare services. But he has a powerful portfolio of activities and interests outside of that role. He's a professor of psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego. He's also editor of the journal Innovations in Clinical Neuroscience, and he's faculty at Singularity University and BART X Medicine. He has authored over 200 peer-reviewed publications, and he advises several companies such as AI Cure and Bracket. He's the chief curator and chairman of the CNS Summit, which is an event that we talk about on this conversation. I've not attended it in the past, but I hope to make it down to Florida to attend it this year. It's being held on November 1st to the 4th in Boca Raton. As you'll hear in this interview, Dr. Kalali is really passionate about accelerating and improving the success of medical research through collaboration and innovation, which are two things we talk about a lot on this platform. I always enjoy my conversations with Amir, and I hope you enjoy this one too. So let's tune into the conversation with Dr. Amir Kalali. Amir, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. Pleasure to be here. Amir, you spent 20 years, almost 20 years, in clinical research at Quintiles. It's the largest clinical research organization in the world. And I'm sure during that time, you saw a ton of changes. 
Can you just give us a little insight into the industry that you've observed during that time and some of the improvements that have happened perhaps more recently? Sure, Dan. Um, well, yes, that's true. Uh, Quintas, which now has merged and has a new name, it was, certainly has always been the largest organization. And one of the reasons I joined all those many years ago was uh, in academia, really, you have to focus very narrowly on one topic to be considered you know, a real academic. And I found that very restrictive. So for me, being able to do multiple things was really something I preferred. And being, uh, you know, at the time for 20 years at Quintiles, where neuroscience was extremely dominant in the field, I pretty much touched almost every drug that was developed in those times. But I find it interesting that you actually say you must have seen a ton of uh, changes. And I and my immediate reaction to that is kind of in the sense that, you know, uh, over those years, we were at some points buying a company a day and growing extremely fast. Uh, uh, so there were changes in terms of scale and being in different countries. What I would say is on the technology front, although there was always new technologies, I actually have talks about this comparing, you know, when I went to Quintiles, we were during the Clinton administration and all the things that have changed since then in technology. And when you compare that to really what's changed in clinical research, it's quite sobering that really we're still, you know, at times faxing things. So um, I would say that there have been a huge amount of changes in the industry. However, I wouldn't say that uh, it's been nearly as much as, say, banking or other industries. So uh, that's certainly one of the things that motivates me to kind of think about how we can do better. You've spent a lot of time the past 20 years really investing time and resource into understanding technology and understanding how that can be applied in the healthcare space and specifically in the clinical research space. So going back 20 years, that's quite a jump in terms of time. So I'm imagining that before mobile technology had taken off as much as it has, you've seen a, a switch, especially in the more recent years, as we've seen companies like Medible and Thread Research and other companies come into the space and try to leverage some of the mobile and wearable technologies. So ha have you seen anything or can you speak to anything about how that is being resisted or embraced by people in the industry? Sure. So what I would say is the good news for those trying to innovate in healthcare is if you think that's bad, try life sciences and drug development, right? So so I would say that as slow as we think healthcare changes are, the pharma industry is under you know, very heavy regulation and is extremely conservative in some ways, rightly so, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, they're doing clinical research with new entities and patients. So you have to be absolutely sure what do you're doing is safe. Uh, so that leads to a sort of certain conservatism. And also, I think, um, again, I have a very nice slide on this, the half circle of non-innovation in pharma, where really, traditionally speaking, uh, in pharma, you if you did the same old thing and failed, that was okay. If you tried something new and failed, that was not okay. You probably lost your job. So I would say there's been some inherent sort of conservatism built into the system, fear of regulation, you know, fear of things going wrong. Uh, what I would say, what I've noticed is you mentioned some of the newer companies I would say the changes have been sort of more exponential. So I've been taking, you know, the companies on the journey with me where, you know, it's gone from what is this new stuff? You know, do we really need to go there? We're making plenty of money doing what we're doing uh, to, OK, I've heard about it. Maybe I should know about it 
to, okay, I don't really understand it, I, I guess I should be in it, to, okay, we really have to be in it because we're going to fall behind if we don't. And I think each company in the sector is kind of a, on, the, on that spectrum somewhere, right? So the challenges have really been how do you innovate in an area where conservatism really is the rule, secrecy is the rule, and how do you, how do, you do that? And I think that's kind of parallels healthcare, but probably even more challenging. There's no question that uh, more recently, whether it's the uh, startups like Thread and Metal you mentioned, or whether it's, it's the big four uh, tech companies, clearly as they've become more and more interested in coming into the space, it's suddenly woken up, you know, the incumbents thinking about, you know, how do we change? So I think that's the change I've seen, and I see it accelerating every year. So you're a physician by training. You were trained over here in London at UCL, and uh, now you're based over in Southern California. Tell us a little bit about that journey, how you made that migration, and what sort of attracted you and brought you into opportunities in the States. Sure. I uh, have moved around a bit, uh, starting in Swiss boarding school, English boarding school, English training. I love everything about London apart from the weather. So California definitely was, one, the sort of center of innovation, and two, uh, it didn't rain every day, so you, you might not want to ask me how what degree it is today in San Diego. Go ahead, rub it in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I try not to usually, but today I believe it's 79. The other reason I really moved to the U.S. and California in particular is I think, you know, in California we have a kind of a, a mindset that's very forward-looking, uh, very optimistic, you know, hard work. And I think that was really jived with my kind of uh, way of thinking. So I, I really felt California was a natural home for me. Now, Amir, I know you're a huge fan of the CES meeting that happens in Las Vegas in January of each year. And you were actually a fan of it even before it became a popular event for health and wellness companies to exhibit. And uh, this year, 2018, you split your time between the J.P. Morgan event in San Francisco and CES, where you and I were able to catch up briefly in person there uh, early in the JPM, and then I knew you flew off to Las Vegas. What did you see, and can you tell us a little bit about the evolution that's happened in terms of the healthcare space at CES and some of the things that caught your eye this year uh, that could be applied into healthcare? Sure. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of anything, but I would say I do enjoy going to CES. And uh, when I started going, there was zero healthcare. In fact, the evolution of CES itself is kind of an interesting lesson in that, you know, it used to be the Consumer Electronics Show, right? The Consumer Electronics Association. It's now the Consumer Technology Association, which may seem like a nuance change. But when I was uh, first going, you know, it was computers, you know, uh, TV screens, that kind of thing. And that was it. And it was kind of beginning to tail, trail off. But then um, very smartly, they decided that they actually weren't about just electronics. They were about technology in any industry that's impacted by technology. Well, that's every industry basically now. So when you go to CES now, not only do you have healthcare, you have cars, you have media, Hollywood, music, like literally every industry that is there and it's getting just too big even for Las Vegas. So that's an interesting sort of evolution itself that I think when we're in healthcare, we kind of think that, oh, technology is coming, things are changing. We're probably one of the last industries to really uh, see that. If you think of media, other areas where they've completely changed their business model and had to change completely, we're kind of, you know, one of the last ones to really see the impact. Uh, so that's the first thing about CES. The, the things I saw this year that were kind of interesting was, well, clearly the voice interface was in everything. That started, you know, a couple of years ago. But uh, certainly this year, it seems you can't have anything that didn't have voice associated. 
I personally drew the line of my at my toilet having an Alexa built in. I wasn't really sure that's what I wanted, but there was certainly everything seems to need to have voice interface according to every company. The other thing that was much more interesting was the that health seemed to have become the new horizontal. So in most areas we went to, whether it was cars or others, they were trying to showcase how in the future they would really help assess health. So the car companies would say, well, while you're commuting, you know, we can have all the sensors to, to look at your heart rate, to look at everything, maybe help you driving, maybe give you health signals. So these are things that really were never sort of thought of before. So I just thought it was interesting that health was really a, a horizontal CES. That's my biggest takeaway from a health perspective. Um, I just like going because it's like Disneyland for adults who are into tech. So it's it always good to see what's coming, talk to the uh, product managers there and the companies. So that's what I get out of it. Amir, I know you're involved in a lot of different businesses and events and projects. So tell me a little bit more about what you have working in this year, 2018. What's in store for you? Sure. I mean, having had a busy uh, week with uh, JP Morgan and CES, and maybe I should just mention to you, if you're interested, where I thought of JP Morgan. Sure. One could spend a whole podcast on that, but I would say uh, the three things I think about coming out of JP Morgan, one was there's a lot of new science, right? areas that a few years ago would be considered science fiction, whether it's gene therapy, gene editing, others. There's just so many fascinating areas, and I think science is really at a point where we're going to have lots of new discoveries, which I think may have, be game changers for us. So that's really exciting to see. The other thing is the expectation that there's going to be even more funding coming into the system. So this just seems like a, it's not a bubble, but it's certainly, you know, the, 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 there's no end in sight at the moment for various reasons, you know, which we won't go into and have time today. But I think the funding for biotech and biology uh, in particular is going to be more than ever. And for the moment, I don't see an end to that. So coupling that with a new science, I think there's just going to be a lot more happening. Uh, the other thing personally, you know, having my background in neuroscience was interesting to see a very consistent uh, sort of message coming about a very robust new interest in neuroscience. Many people calling it the new oncology and really thinking about the unmet need, which is just enormous and where we can make a huge difference uh, in both mortality and morbidity, whereas, you know, we've got, you know, 61 oncology compounds working on the same mechanism and really not making a huge difference sometimes in patients. So I think it, if there's one area that, you know, has unmet need and people are kind of beginning to really see that and understanding they need to be in it is neuroscience. In fact, I was just tweeting the other day, there was a very interesting quote from the chairman of Celgene which took me back where he said that if you really want to be, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't have it in front of me, but basically if you want to be in the product development pharma business in 10 years, you better be in neurodegeneration and neuroscience, which is uh, you know, quite a bold statement. And seven years ago, people probably wouldn't have said that. So that's uh, JP Morgan CES. In terms of what's coming up, my own meetings, you know, so we have Two meetings that I help uh, do, they're both sort of non-profit meetings that bring people together. Uh, the first one is called the International Society for Science Drug Development. That started actually 16 years ago, and it was very strange to me at the time. I happened to be running every single phase three program in schizophrenia in the world at that point, which was six of them. And uh, I was in a meeting, and this is hard to believe this story, but it's true. I, I was on the top floor of the hotel. I came down, and every floor 
a customer client who was, you know, uh, running a FSC program walked in. And obviously, I knew them all. I was working with them. And none of them in the elevator, and they kept walking in. This is really quite funny. And none of them knew each other, despite the fact they were the same meeting, go to the same meeting. So at the time, my joke definitely was that if two people in pharma were talking at a meeting, uh, one was interviewing for a job. There was just a culture was not there for collaboration. It's hard to believe now where many people uh, overused the word collaboration. But really, at the time, there was no scientific collaboration. So I really brought people together uh, initially for that meeting in neuroscience development. And we've been working together 15 years, thinking about just scientific issues, strategic issues. And I think it's really helped people do better programs. And I kind of view it as an ethical issue in that if we can help others do more efficient programs or frankly kill programs that aren't going to work because you've done the work in your company, that's an ethical thing to do. There's only so much uh, dollars for research. So if we, we just shouldn't be wasting that. And uh, there's so many ways we can do that by collaboration. So that's certainly been one of my soapboxes and one thing I've worked on. And that's called the International Society for CNS Drug Development. That's at iscdd.org. Correct. And that's a sort of a, a leadership meeting that we do for anyone who's the head of a therapeutic area in CNS. Um, then about seven years ago, actually, there was um, a lot of uh, companies leaving neuroscience. There was all sorts of issues with, uh, with drug development. And I also felt a real lack of um, leveraging technology. So again, with a bunch of my friends in the various companies, we thought that we should have a bigger meeting that brought in all the stakeholders. So traditionally, you know, meetings in life sciences were either academic meetings, which, you know, I sit on many of those boards and they have a very appropriate place in the world and they, you know, think about etiology of disease. But really drug development is in the core of the agenda. It's not what they really focused on. And then we have a lot of, you know, commercial meetings that are run for profit that uh, uh, I'm not really trying to move the needle. And I really felt they weren't really doing much to do that. So we decided to start CNS Summit, which stands for Collaborating for Novel Solutions. And our three key words, uh, which weren't quite as overused, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago, were um, collaboration, innovation and technology. And we said we chose those because we weren't particularly good at them. And we really wanted to focus on those three things. And I think that's true today, that we can only really have uh, a lot of industry-wide innovation by being able to collaborate. And I do think that we absolutely have not scratched the surface with technology. So, you know, one of the many reasons I think technology will help is not only get more people into being to access new experimental medications, but it really democratizes, you know, who you can reach in terms of whether it's gender or uh, background. So I think, you know, it, it all really helps us speed up what we do, which is try and bring new treatments. So uh, between those that so we have, you know, ICD in March and then um, CNS Summer is usually in November, we really focus on bringing together the technology companies, whether they're startups or the big players like Amazon and Google, and uh, also the startups so and trying to get really uh, collaboration going. So that's sort of on my, these are hobbies. So these are what I focused on. Uh, obviously, I also have my uh, things that I do as a day job. So, 
Yeah, I'm on the website right now for cnssummit.org, and I know that mm-hmm. event's coming up in Boca Raton on uh, November 4th of this year, 2018. You've got just an amazing group of people who attend, but also uh, th- who are speaking. I mean, I see a lot of the names we've already mentioned, Michelle Longmire and John Reitz from Medible and Thread, respectively. You've also got uh, Bakul Battelle from the FDA, Susan Manoff from Merck, uh, Diane West from... Uh, uh, GNS Healthcare. You've got a lot of uh, great speakers on here. And I also watched the video that was on the website earlier. And I think they compared this conference to, to Star Trek, going where no person has gone before. So really impressive event. I've not attended it before. I know a lot of people here who have spoken and who have attended in the past and said wonderful things. So it's certainly something for people to keep on their on their calendars. And what I would say about it, for me, the most important thing, what doesn't come across in the video, although it's a very cool video, is really this sense of, of optimism and energy of the meeting. So um, when you come to it, it's hard because people go, well, we hear it's different to everything else. How can that be? And it's kind of difficult unless you've been there. But we've managed to create a community that all realizes we're in it to do the right thing. And we all want to collaborate and help patients. And that is palpable in the meeting. And I think you know the video has some sense of that. But I think unless you come there, it's kind of very different to many other meetings we go to. It's very real. People talk about, you know, issues that maybe people don't talk about anywhere else. And um, we just have a a sense of fun because I think to be creative, you definitely need to have people having fun and laying the guard down. Uh, We also, you know, you didn't mention a lot of the CEOs from Pharma that we interviewed. You know, we try and uh, talk to people who are really having impact, who we think are passionate about what they do. And I think we had some really great interviews, fireside chats there with people like Brent Saunders from Allegan and others, where we try and understand, you know, where they're headed, how they see the future, and really trying to influence them with our kind of thinking about what we think should be done. I think there's many people in the life sciences who feel like they're in big organizations and they're just a small cog in the big wheel. But I think we are trying to empower people to realize that, you know, we can make that change. So uh, I think there's a lot of sense of optimism. In fact, the theme for this year was thrive, not survive. I think, uh, you know, when I go to tech meetings, there's a lot of talk about them thriving. They think the sky's the limit or not the limit. And when you go to a lot of life science meetings, that's not necessarily what people sort of feel. So I'm trying to just uh, allow people to realize that there's a lot of opportunities for us. And that really we're probably at the beginning of, you know, an exciting edge. I think of this century as being the merging of technology and biology. So and I think we're right in the middle of that. Yeah, I see one of the guests that you've had is uh, your fellow Brit and California-based CEO, Andrew Thompson from Proteus, who's someone I've seen speak before, and he's a phenomenal speaker and advocate for digital health technologies and digital medicines. And there's another person on here that I've not heard speak before. I'll look forward to his video if you have that available. But Adam, Adam, I don't know how to say his surname. but Gazzley. yeah, Gazzley from, from uh, Achille yes. Interactive Labs. That's someone that I've seen in terms of digital th- therapeutics and digital medicines. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what they're working on or what they presented about? Sure. So um, I think uh, just thinking about this year's uh, program that we did this year that just went 2017, we had Adam and Eddie, the CEO of Achille. Adam is a a neuroscientist at UCSF, very well known uh, for his work. And they've taken some of that work and turned it into the company. There's Achille that is really taking an FDA route to having a treatment 
for cognition through a video game. So the video game actually diagnoses you and treats you based on the diagnosis that it finds through the cognitive testing through the video. Very, you know, um, innovative way of thinking about it. And really, you know, 10 years ago, no one would believe that you can have a video game try and get FDA approval as a robust treatment for cognition. So we definitely had that. We also interviewed um, Daphne Zohar, the CEO of PureTech, who was one of the co-founders and investors in Achille to talk about, you know, why they felt this is an important area. Uh, but digital medicine is kind of, and digital health are kind of very broad terms. So uh, I would say people have different definitions, but we, so at Summit last year, we had obviously Achille. We also had a Proteus and Otsuka leadership where they talked about their new FDA approval you know, for their uh, protest chip on uh, Abilify, the antipsychotic. And that was, you know, a big win for getting actually getting something across the uh, finishing line with the FDA. That wasn't easy. Uh, we also had Corey McCann, who heads up Pair Therapeutics. Very impressive. I love Corey. He's just uh, so focused on what he's doing, which is really using technology wrap around a drug. So, you know, whereas Achille is a video uh, you know, Otsuka is uh, with uh, Proteus is really putting a chip and sensors on a tablet and Pear is thinking about wrapping around and they've obviously had approvals already, uh, really landmark ones and others to come where you're wrapping technology apps around a drug to improve the outcome. So I think you know, people have taken many different approaches. There's Kirk Therapeutics, there's others who presented who, as you can see, there's a whole wide range of thinking about how digital uh, will impact, you know, drug development. So I think in the future, we're going to have not only digital drugs combinations, but also really companies um, becoming much more um, disease management companies beyond just giving someone, um, you know, a tablet. And I think the goal for all of them might be to be the iTunes instead of the artist, you know, so they can sort of plug in any 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 song in there, any any treatment in there, and make that available to patients. So that's definitely, I think, going to change it totally how we think about you know device and drug development. We'll dive back into our conversation in just a minute, but first I want to tell you about one of our outstanding sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Medible, the app and analytics company for healthcare. Since its launch in late 2016, Medible has seen rapid adoption of its platform with a customer base that cares for over 15 million patients and conducts over 6,000 clinical trials. Its platform is becoming the de facto standard for healthcare research on mobile. Let's say you're studying Parkinson's disease. Medible's platform allows researchers to set up a clinical trial, access third-party tools like Apple's Research Kit, and integrate different data sets. The company developed something it calls the Human Digitome. It's an intelligence system that systematically tags digital signatures of health and disease. The Digitome is an increasingly prized method, and it's drawing acclaim from leading research hospitals and biopharma companies precisely because it gives medical research centers a way to generate anytime, anywhere data, and analyze massive data sets. But Medible recognizes that there are some fundamental challenges in the clinical trial industry. What are two of the biggest issues slowing down clinical trials? low participation rates, and weak data sharing tools among research groups. Medible's come up with a way to transform clinical trials. It's a blockchain solution they call Insight. Insight enables auditable, transparent, and self-directed data sharing. Researchers can use the Medible platform to contribute data in exchange for funding and other research resources. And clinical trial participants can donate data to specific research efforts. With Insight, everyone benefits. 
Sound interesting? Then check out Medible. Go to Medible.com to find out how you can get the benefits of insight in your organization. Now let's jump back to the conversation. You mentioned some of your tweets earlier. Uh, one of the tweets that I read when I was out at JPM in San Francisco was from Chrissy Farr, another uh, British expat who's uh, based in California, uh, who writes for CNBC. And uh, again, paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of that 2018 is going to be a very interesting year as technology companies continue their, their foray into healthcare and healthcare companies continue their foray into technology. And we hear a lot about companies like Apple and Amazon disrupting and as we think about that, what are some of the opportunities that you see these companies embracing and and changing the way we exhibit drug development and healthcare and uh, and the use of of technology broadly? I think you know Amazon, Apple, and Google have had different approaches. Uh, in fact, later on, uh, I think I'll recommend a book to you on that. But uh, they all have, I think, very different DNAs and different ways of approaching it. So it'd be interesting to see um, how they all come along. We definitely can't uh, rule any of them out as being the leaders in this. What has you concerned about some of these these companies getting involved in healthcare? What do you think we should make sure we, we keep an eye out for to make sure that these companies are, are not disrupting things in a bad way? Sure. So a couple of thoughts about what you said. Uh, first of all, I mean, I always believe, you know, I'm an optimist. This is why I moved to California. But I believe that instead of seeing these as threats, we should definitely see them as opportunities. So I think even for anyone who works in healthcare or in drug development, you know, they, one one way of looking at it is, oh, my God, you know, they're going to disrupt our industry. Will I have a job? I think the other way to look at it, I think there's going to be far more choices of employers, you know, and opportunities in, in these sectors. I truly believe that, you know, technology and bio coming together will actually result in, you know, more fulfilling work for people. And I think the key to that is for us to all be continuing you know, lifelong learners. So uh, one of the reasons I kind of uh, did Summit was to allow my friends to come on a journey with me to try and retool, you know, our knowledge, our skill sets. So I think you can't sit and just, you know, do what you were doing forever and think you're going to do that. Maybe if you're one year from retirement and, you you know, you don't have the energy, that's great. But otherwise, I think anyone who wants to continue working for a while, uh, it's incumbent on them to really think about, you know, what skill sets do I need to have? What areas should I be knowledgeable about? And, you know, uh, that's what we're trying to do at Summit is really allow people to see, you know, what's coming, what the opportunities are. So in terms of, you know, what I'm worried about, I think I'm optimistic. The I think what you're hinting at is there has been some uh, sort of tendency for some people in tech to kind of think about biology as just ones and zeros, that DNA is just, you know, information, they know how to deal with information. I think, you know, some people worry about the arrogance of that. I would say in general, uh, I mean, if you take today's announcements, I think the leadership at Amazon, Apple, these are very smart people. And I think, you know, even if you read the press release from uh, Amazon, they, all, they had a lot of humility in it, saying we realize how hard this is. You know, uh, we're not saying we have the answers. So I think they're coming to it with, uh, you know, some level of humility and understanding how difficult it is. But I'm very optimistic that, uh, you know, these companies that know how to operate at scale 
uh, can help us. So I think where the bio uh, area can help is clearly they're not experts, right? Whether uh, I mean, healthcare can have different expertise, drug development, different expertise. I think the, the point is that the two should come together and understand, you know, what they don't know and make sure that they realize, you know, bio is not silicon and, it, you know, you, can, you can't have a version 1.0 killing people. So I think that's obviously a worry and that's what's led to some conservatism. But I think there definitely is a good middle ground. There's been a tendency to be defensive on the bio side and sort of say bio is difficult, you know, it's people's lives, we can't possibly change things. I think that's just a bit protective and defensive. And I think on the other side, obviously, there's been this, you know, tech can solve everything. And there's a middle ground where you can be informed by two, by both sides and really try and come to solutions that, you know, are better for patients. Yeah, and while all this is happening with new technologies and new expectations being set by users and professionals who are working in that environment, we're seeing regulatory bodies like the FDA, like the work that's being done and led by uh, Bakul Patel, really adapting their processes to accommodate these new ways and working very in a very collaborative spirit to adjust and recognize the risks or the lack of risks very exciting times as we see you know these 10 companies go through this trial or this this uh this new program with the fda the pre, yeah the pre it's like pre-tsa both for uh, fda yeah yeah exactly you know, um i would say that um I, couldn't, I can't say enough good things about the FDA leadership right now on many levels. So I think both on the general FDA uh, leadership by Scott and also by Bacall in the digital side. I think they have been nothing but collaborative and helpful. And I think, you know, in general, even historically before digital people tended to blame the regulatory authorities, you know, for being slow or uh, uh, stopping innovation. I think that a lot of that was actually the companies themselves being conservative and it was convenient to blame the regulators. There was some truth to it, but uh, I think at the moment they definitely are doing a great job. It's probably one of the most functioning uh, uh, sort of uh, divisions within the government right now. So I think that's definitely a good thing. So, Amir, listen, we've covered a lot of great stuff. I appreciate you coming on the program. I have six questions that I'd like to ask every guest. Let me fire into them. What's a saying, quote, or phrase that motivates you? Yeah, I could choose many. I think uh, the one I, I maybe say a lot to people uh, is the harder I work, the luckier I get. What advice do you have for others working to innovate in healthcare? I think we should all always start with the patient in mind. Uh, I think also we need to take into account the provider experience. I think there's a lot of noise around uh, you know, the patient, but I think we kind of have to remember that the provider is also important. I don't think there's a lot of hype about bots and, you know, replacing doctors. And I actually think that, uh, you know, being a techie, obviously I'm an evangelist for technology. Having said that, uh, I truly think it's overdone and people kind of underestimate the human angle of healthcare, which always has to be there. So I would say, you know, obviously start with the patient, but really think about the provider experience too and uh, do it for the right reasons. What book do you recommend to our listeners? Yeah, that's really hard. I, I buy so many books. It's, you know, um, I, I might focus on the most recent books that I'm looking at because there's just so many I could uh, recommend to you, right? And I, I'll keep out of healthcare, I think, because your other guests are either written books or, you know, have recommended them. So I thought to be different, I'll definitely look at non-healthcare books that I've looked at recently. The first one, I'll give you a couple. One will be The Four, 
by Scott Galloway, uh, which is about Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. Scott's a great commentator, so definitely worth reading. The next one I'll recommend that I'm enjoying at the moment is by a friend called Daniel Friedland, uh, Leading Well from Within. And this is a neuroscience-based framework for conscious leadership. Really good lessons there for what's a high-performance leader, what's a low-performance leader, and how to become a high-performance leader. And it's not, you know, for managers. It's, you know, you, you don't have to be managing people to be benefiting from this as anyone can be a leader. So I think really thoughtful uh, books. I would recommend that, Leading Well from Within. Uh, the other one, which completely different, uh, little bit crazy chaos monkeys this is the book by antonio garcia martinez about silicon valley and the startup life uh so kind of eye-opening worth reading uh the other one which isn't so new but i thought i'll make my list of four for now randomly was uh i like the title it says um if how to's were enough we should all be skinny rich and happy by brian clemmer and what I like about that book is really talks about the subconscious reasons why people really make decisions and why collaboration is the key to success. That It's a very uh, short book, but it's really interesting. And I think that's the kind of a, uh, the four I'll choose today. Might be different tomorrow. Excellent. Thank you for those. And we'll include links to all those in the show notes for this episode. And certainly they are things that are outside the normal scope of some of the things that people recommend. So I appreciate you thinking of those and, and put so much thought to it. What's a piece of technology that you recommend our listeners check out? So Dan, you're killing me here. Being a techie guy, I could do a whole podcast with you just on this, right? <laughs> so, next time, next so, time. Yeah. So um, I, again, try to think of a theme. So I'll stick to travel because, you know, I travel so much more than most people. So uh, three kind of different things. I've always for a long time used itasoftware.com, which was bought by Google actually to become the foundation for Google Flights. If you're a real travel geek and really want to, you know, customize, you know, through travel searches and you travel to really exotic places that, you know, your usual websites might not even show, this will show you every every possible plane in the world and, and sort of different aspects of those planes. So if you're as much of a travel geek as me and like to uh, really micromanage how you travel, uh, itasoftware.com gives you all the options you could possibly want. So I, I like using that. The next thing is uh, this new is my current headphones are the Sony WF-1000X. They only came out very recently. They're the, really the world's really first proper noise-canceling earbuds that are wireless. So they've managed to, for the first time, really um, miniaturize that noise-canceling function. Uh, they certainly are better sounding than the Apple, uh, and they definitely look less stupid. So I would say that if you travel a lot, like noise-canceling, but don't want to have big headphones on, those Sony WF-1000s have worked out really great. The other thing I'm going to get really practical, it always fascinates me, the number of people when I'm traveling who, you know, at night have run out of battery on their phone. And I just, I could certainly not afford to run out of battery. Uh, so every phone I have has a charger case. Uh, I even carry wireless chargers now because, you know, the new iPhones, you can wirelessly charge and, and the uh, Androids. So my really big tip in terms of any piece of technology, to me, you need to be running and working. So you know, having battery available to you sounds very basic, but I'm amazed how many people don't use uh, battery cases. I know they make them a little bigger, but, uh, you know, they protect your phone. I've never lost a phone to dropping it. So that's sort of my three, three out of many, many we could talk about. 
That's awesome, Amir. Thank you very much for those. I've learned a few things I did not know about ITA software, so I will definitely check that out. And uh, I will include links to the other two products that you've just mentioned as well. Yeah, maybe we'll do a whole travel broadcast for all the the health innovators who are traveling around the world like you and I are. Uh, We can talk about some of the the kit that we we bring along to make that that travel process a lot easier. I I could... Yeah, I could read a, uh, write a book on that. I mean, travel <laughs> hacking in general, not just technology, yeah. Yep. If I gave you a check for $5 million for you to invest in health technology today, how would you invest it? Yeah, I think uh, if I had to choose to do that, I would uh, think about how to facilitate behavioral change. I think uh, digital health is more about behavioral change than people think. And if we can crack that and do a better job of actually helping people have behavioral change through technology, we can impact all chronic conditions. So I think whoever can help crack that nut will actually have a good business. So although it seems not digital, it actually, I think, um, is important. It's not. It's ironic that the three companies we mentioned earlier, Achille, Proteus, and uh, Pear, are one of the very first pioneers in you know fda kind of uh, path for approval and they all happen to be in neurosciences it's, it's, and to me that's not a surprise i actually think you know behavioral health and uh, leading to behavioral change it can have a huge impact on all diseases so that's the area i would really try and focus on excellent and the last thing we make a donation to a charity and appreciation for your time on the show can you tell us what charity you've selected and tell us a little bit about what they do yeah, I found your questions hard because choosing one book and one technology, so I kind of cheated with the other ones. I won't give you four charities, but I was thinking out of all the ones that I support, what would I? There's so many. I mean, you could think about, you know, ACLU, the electronic, uh, the uh, Freedom Foundation that's looking out after our privacy. There's all sorts of areas of my interest that would be good. But I think the one I chose would be Save the Children, especially because they unfortunately were attacked a few days ago in Afghanistan. So they're top of mind for me. So I would say, let's choose Save the Children today. So that's savethechildren.org. We'll make a donation to them in your name, and we encourage listeners who are inclined to make a donation as well. Thanks a lot for nominating them. They do great work. Uh, We'll make sure we make that donation uh, here as we go live. All right, Amir, listen, how can listeners follow you and keep track of your progress? Sure. The best way to follow me is on Twitter at A Kalali, first initial, then K A L A L I, A Kalali, and also LinkedIn. And also the CNS Summit website, you know, there's a whole group of us working on that. And I think that's a great place. If you're in life sciences and interested in how technology will transform it, it's definitely the place to get your information. There you have it. That was Dr. Amir Kalali. Grab all the links to the companies we discussed in the show notes for this episode at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 60. You can also find the links to the CNS Summit, the journal Innovation in Clinical Neuroscience, and much more. Be sure to check out our partner, Medible. You can find their link in the show notes or just go directly to medible.com. Follow me on Twitter at HealthTechDan and follow the show at dhealthtoday. That's all for me for now. I'll speak with you soon on episode 61. And until next time, keep on innovating.